Hello, and welcome to the Crossway Christian Church podcast. We are a church who wants to practice the way of Jesus together. If we can help you in any way, let us know. And be sure to check out our website at crosswaycc.org. Now let's get back to the podcast. Well, happy Easter, everyone. My name is Dave Ripper, and it's such a joy to have you join us here today. Have you ever wondered what the first Easter morning might have looked like? In Matthew's gospel, we get a glimpse into the setting of the resurrection story. Now, after the Sabbath, Friday evening, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. I love that phrase, toward the dawn. It's not quite daylight, but it's coming. Something is stirring. We are on the brink of something new. I watch the sunrise most days from my home, and not exactly by choice. One of my three kids almost always decides to be the early riser, and it's daddy's job to get up early to be with them, even if I pretend like they're not yelling out my name. But while I protest to stay in bed, once the first light pierces the darkness of the sky, I'm glad I've awakened and can share this moment with my children. Something about the fresh light brings us closer to each other and closer to God. What do you feel when you watch the sunrise? The dawn evokes in me hope, expectancy, peace. When things are turbulent, chaotic, painful, there's something about the sunrise that instills within me deep assurance. We're not alone. There is purpose, coherence, meaning, invitation to life, invitation to this day. I can only imagine how stunning the first light of resurrection morning must have looked 2,000 years ago outside the walls of the great city of Jerusalem. Words that come to mind include radiant, luminous, brilliant, glowing, golden, glorious, beautiful. It would have stood in striking contrast to the, the sorrow the friends and family and followers of Jesus would have felt as they grieved his recent death. As we remember that morning, this Easter, I'm struck by how many of us might be feeling contrasting moment, uh, feelings of emotion ourselves, longing for better days ahead, but lament for all that's been lost over this last year. Celebration because the tomb is empty, but sadness because Easter might still not feel the same. It's easy to get stuck in the past sometimes, isn't it? To get trapped in our bitter disappointment, to choose to replay and perpetuate our outrage and anger over and over, to hold on to our hurt. Maybe that's been you, and maybe that's getting a little tiring. But just as each new sunrise reminds us that God's mercies are new every morning, this Easter we are invited to move toward the dawn, to look to the face of our teacher and Savior and risen Lord, Jesus. What do you think his face looked like that day? What would it have been like to see him seeing you? to hear him calling you 
by name. As I imagine that, I think back to the famous Old Testament blessing that says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. I believe Jesus would have really emboldened that. He would have embodied that whole blessing. Just imagine Jesus' shining face shining over the still waters or over the sun rising, eclipsing the horizon, illuminating Pac-Manadnock from the north face of Temple Mountain where I hiked and captured the sunrise a few days ago. Just imagine the warmth, the love, the tender compassion of Jesus' shining face shining on you and how that must have felt. One person who experienced the mystery of this moment in a first-handed way was Mary Magdalene, a devoted follower of Jesus. While her encounter with the risen Lord doesn't give us exact details into the facial features of Jesus, it does illumine what his overall countenance might have been like. And this is so important for us to imagine because how we see Jesus shapes how we see everything. How we see the world, how we see others, how we see ourselves, most importantly, how we see God. How do you see Jesus? I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to the fourth book of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, as we get a greater glimpse into what the resurrected Lord might have looked like and how we might have experienced his presence here and now. John 20, starting with verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's dig a bit deeper into this text by looking at four expressions of Jesus' resurrected countenance. First, Jesus is the face of comfort. Jesus is the face of comfort. The text begins as we meet Mary weeping. She's expecting to find a guarded closed tomb and has come to pay her respects. Yet even worse than coming upon Jesus' gravesite is discovering that his body is missing. It's been taken. Mary then sees two angels, and angels are just good servants of God in the spiritual realm. They ask Mary, why are you weeping? And at that moment, she sees Jesus, but she didn't know, doesn't know that it's him. And we'll get to that in just a few moments. But then Jesus repeats the question, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? 
She wants to know where Jesus' body has been taken, and she responds. But then Jesus speaks to her in some familiar way that she sees that it's actually him. Mary, he says. And all along, he's been right there with her. Now she realizes that, that he is with her now. Can you imagine the exhilarating hope that must have gone through her veins as she heard him say her name? Chills running up and down her spine. Tears turned to, 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 tears of sorrow turning to streams of joy. Teacher, she shouts aloud in desperate relief and in passionate love. Can you imagine what it must have been like to see Jesus' face after he says your name? And amazingly enough, he knows each of us by name. He knows your name. God is not some distant, remote, impersonal God, but he is a relational God who is closer to us than we think. This Easter, I want to ask you, in what area of your life do you need comfort, relief, healing, Look no further than to the face of Jesus. Hear him whisper your name and ask for help. And he would love to bring you the consolation of his presence right where you are right now. So first, Jesus is the face of comfort. Secondly, Jesus is the face of family. After Mary Magdalene hears Jesus say her name, verse 17 says, Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers. Now this first phrase, do not hold on to me, initially strikes me as being rather unsettling. I mean, Jesus just comforts Mary by saying her name, and then he says this jarring, kind of jostling statement, don't hold on to me. Now, when we think about Jesus, we have to realize he defies all of our human categories. But in an effort to try and make a little sense out of this, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright contends that Jesus was warning her that their new relationship isn't going to be like the one they had before. He is doing something new. I interpret this to mean that things are not going to go back to the way that they were with Jesus, the way we might have wanted them to be. He's doing something different, unexpected, maybe even unwanted, but yet we must trust him even when we don't understand. Now today marks a very decisive moment for me personally. This past year has been rough. And as I looked toward Easter, I sensed the Lord telling me, yes, there's a lot that you could remain bitter about, upset about, hurt from. But rather than look back, holding on to lamenting again and again and over and over, it's time to look ahead. It's time to let go. I sense God telling me that this Easter is the decisive moment to believe that there is a new season of resurrection that is being birthed among us. And I can't stay living in the past, living over all of the what-ifs of this last year and what should have been, but to look ahead with a sense of expectancy and hope and resolve that this is a season of resurrection for me 
and believing that this is a season of resurrection for Crossway Christian Church. And maybe this is a moment, like me, where we stop holding on, we relinquish, and we stop looking back, looking ahead with open hands, open heart, arms, and hearts, believing that Jesus is calling us together to look forward and to practice resurrection ourselves, believing that he is bringing new life out of all the death that we have experienced. I hope that you would look ahead with me. And then Jesus tells Mary to tell the disciples something striking. He says, go to my brothers. Now prior to this time, Jesus referred to his followers as disciples, servants, even friends. But now all that has changed. A new relationship has sprung into being like a sudden spring flower. The disciples aren't just followers, no. They're family, they're family. I find this such good news because after a year where it feels like we've seen our families less than ever before, maybe a year when we've experienced more relational conflict with people than we ever have, Jesus shows us in the midst of all of this the good news that belonging and a sense of real family is available to him no matter who we are, no matter what we've gone through. As we say yes to him, Jesus is creating an all new type of community from people from all ages, backgrounds, ethnicities, nations, and he's bringing them together into a whole new type of community, a community of agape, sacrificial love, where he will be the center of that community and will be its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. And he is inviting you this day, whispering your name, not merely to be his servant or follower, to be his sister, to be his brother. Jesus is the face of family, and he's inviting you to get in on it, to join in, because you belong with him. Now, a fascinating detail that we must not overlook is that the first witness of the resurrection was, in fact, a woman. And the first proclaimer, preacher of the resurrection is a woman. Jesus values, emboldens, and empowers women to serve him amidst a patriarchal society that egregiously devalued women in that day. Not only so, but one of the earliest objectors to Christianity was the Roman thinker named Celsus. In 175 AD, he objected to the gospel report of the resurrection, claiming it must be untrue because the alleged eyewitness was, in his words, a hysterical female. See, in this day and age, a woman's testimony carried absolutely no weight in the court of law. But I believe this fact adds credibility to the story of the resurrection and doesn't detract from it at all. Just think about it for a moment. If you were going to fabricate or make up the story of the resurrection to try and get people to believe Jesus rose from the dead when he didn't, if you were going to make up a story like that, you would never dare to have your key witness be a woman because her testimony would be thrown out immediately. But the fact that the gospel writers include this essential, empowering detail adds credibility, authenticity to the veracity of the resurrection story. This really happened. And there's evidence that demands you to make the right kind of decision and verdict. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? I'm convinced so. So Jesus first is the face of comfort. Secondly, he's the face of family. Thirdly, Jesus is the face of strength. Now let's just zoom out for a moment and recall what has taken place. 
Jesus rose from the dead. He was killed in the most excruciating way imaginable and two days later comes back to life. This is not just some spiritual guru or wise teacher or some type of moral leader. Jesus is a powerful, death-defying, sin-defeating, grave-conquering Savior. Now, during these past few weeks, an image of Jesus' strength that I'd really never paid attention to before was revealed to me from the book of Isaiah in a profound way. In Isaiah 50, there's a prophecy about what Jesus' suffering would be like and how he endured it. And this is a window into his vantage point. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard, and I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I shall not be put to shame. In the midst of so many personal and ministry frustrations, even opposition, I found great resolve in seeing the image of Jesus setting his face like flint. Now I have with me here a piece of flint rock, and in Israel it's thought to be one of the hardest, strongest rocks in the land. And it serves here as a metaphor for Jesus determination and resolve. Like a soldier who never gives up in battle, like an athlete who overcomes adversity, like a savior who can stand up to anything, Jesus sets his face like flint out of his great love for you and for me. And remembering what Jesus did for us has helped me to press on when I felt like giving up. And I'm confident that as you look to the strong face of our savior, he can help you no matter what you are going through right this very moment. Just ask for his help and his strength and his power, which is made perfect and unleashed in our weakness. What I also love about flint is that when you strike it, what happens? It ignites a flame. Maybe you've been feeling numbed or exhausted or just dulled. Well, look to the face of strength now and ask Jesus to set your soul on fire again or maybe for the first time as you look and experience the availability of the power of the resurrection that Jesus wants to extend to you. Jesus is the face of strength. And lastly, Jesus is the face of hope. The face of hope. It's fascinating that one of Jesus' closest followers, Mary, doesn't recognize Jesus at first. In fact, she even confuses him for a gardener, which in some senses is wrong, but in another way is actually right. In likening Jesus to a gardener, we're pointing all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, where Adam was the first gardener in the Garden of Eden. And under his responsible care, things went awry. There was pain and toil and death and sin introduced into the world. But Jesus has come to weed out all those thorns and thistles and to turn them instead into harvest and blossoms. Jesus, as we see him in his resurrected form, has similarities to who he was before, but he's also different. He's alive with a new sort of life, the likes of which we have never seen before, which is turning chaos into new creation. And in the midst of such despair and division and death, 
He gives us all the reason we need to live with a resilient, unshakable hope because the new life that he experienced in himself, that, he, that we get a glimpse of here, a forced taste of, that's going to be something that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, one day we can get in on and experience ourselves too. We'll be the same. That we also be a new kind of life living in and through us that we never could imagine. And because he rose from the grave, we can believe promises of hope like this are true. He will return and he will finish what he started, ushering in the culmination of a world that will be without end, a world where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more social distancing, no more masks that need to be worn. None of that will exist any longer. Every tear will be wiped away from every eye. Every pandemic will be gone for good. And we will be with the God of love forever and the greatest story ever written, a story in which every chapter gets better than the one before. In fact, the gospel writer John records this story so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the rescuer, the Son of God, and that through believing or trusting in him, that we might have life in his name. Wow. Was the dawn of the resurrection pierces through the darkness of despair. This Easter, I pray that you would take a step to move toward the light. In Christ's light, we find comfort. In Christ's light, we find family and belonging. In Christ's light, we find strength and weakness. And in the light of Christ, we find hope. We experience like this, like Mary did, as we hear Jesus call us by our name and put our trust in him. We put our trust that he really lived. We put our trust in the fact that he really died. We put our trust in the fact that he rose from the grave. And we trust him by telling Jesus and saying to him, maybe even right in this moment, I trust you with every part of my whole life. I'm following you now. And so my brothers and sisters, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, may you take a step to move toward the dawn, toward the light today. And may you find what your heart has been looking for all along in the shining face of Jesus, our amazing, risen Lord and Savior. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you that through your life and death and resurrection, sin has been forgiven. Death has been defeated. The enemy has been conquered. Even more, we thank you that we can experience the light of your shining face wherever we are, no matter what we're going through, even this very moment. For those today who are in need of comfort, God, I pray that you would be near to my brokenhearted friends. For those today, Lord, who feel disconnected, lonely, I pray that you would enable them to find a sense of belonging and a trust and assurance that they have family in you. For those, Lord, who are weak, who feel like giving up or giving in, I pray that you would strengthen them. And for those in despair, Lord, I pray that you would fill them and bless them with an unwavering hope. And for those, Lord, who are in need of that relationship with you, 
salvation as we call it. Pray they would turn to you. And if that's you today, I'm gonna invite you just to turn to the shining face of Jesus who is looking upon you with more love than you could imagine. Tell him, I trust you. I wanna follow you as your friend. I commit my life to you. And Jesus will welcome you home. And Lord, for all of us who need to stop looking back and to look forward, I pray you would birth a new life, a new purpose, a new meaning, a new vision, and this new season of resurrection now. We pray all these things for God's great glory, for the good of our world, and for our great hope and joy in Jesus. Amen.